Welcome to a special episode of Rocker Mike and Rod Presents. Who do we have today, Mike? Okay, we have Mr. Charlie Cazalette. I'd like to introduce him. Uh, big show today. I'm excited to have him on. Thank you for coming on, Charlie. Yeah, thank you. Um, a, a fixture in the, in the, in the mid-60s rock scene here in the city. Uh, Charlie was uh, a member of a band called The Outsiders. Um, not to be confused. Not with the right. Not not to be confused with the outsiders from Ohio. They um they recorded "Time Won't Let Me," but you recorded the guy with the long Liverpool hair. Great and, song. And, <laughs> the outsider. and right, flip side was the outsider. We couldn't agree on a name, so one of the producers said, "Why don't you call the band the Outsiders?" And we said, "Yeah, okay." Then you just we went along with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, yeah, a good name. Did, did, did you know there was another band with the name? Oh, they hadn't come out yet. That was in 1960. Yeah, they were more like that 68, was like something like three that. Three or four years. Yeah, after. yeah, they yeah. Probably weren't even formed. Probably that. not. Probably not. Now, uh, Charlie, you're from France originally, right? Yeah, I was born in the south of France, uh, mm -hmm. a little f fishing village then called Set S E T E, in uh, Languedoc. Okay. And uh, we, uh, my my father came over and worked here for a year. City and uh, my first impression was when we got off the boat, I, we, we were getting in a checker cab and I saw the seats come up and yep. I said, wow, this is America, I like it already. <laughs> <laughs> checker cabs were fain and famous. So I wasn't we, we, we went to, to my father's, I had this barman, we went out there and the first thing he showed us was a bottle of ketchup. And he said, this is really good stuff. And, uh, put it on everything? Put it on it, just about anything. So. <laughs> Especially French fries, and so my mother made some French fries. We ate that, and my mother thought, "Oh, maybe we could put on spaghetti." So she made a little spaghetti. <laughs> oh man! And because my mother was born in France, but her parents are Italian, okay. Sicilian, and Calabrese. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so we put it on on spaghetti, and it didn't work. So no, we no, we it doesn't go on spaghetti too know. good. That was like yeah. the first day we were in. Me and my <laughs> older brother and mother were in, uh, in uh, Manhattan on a hundred. West 100th Street, Amsterdam and Columbus, mm -hmm. across the street from a police station. I remember we used to get little presents from the uh, police station during Christmas. And uh, I went to uh, Holy Name of Jesus uh, Catholic school uh, from the kindergarten to the fifth grade, and right. they threw me out. At that point, we lived on 91st Street, and uh, so I started going to public school. Okay, that's great. That's great. Now that you, this was like the early fifties, right? Pretty yeah, was the uh, public school Brandeis? Huh? Brandeis? Brandeis High School. Brandeis uh, Public High School. High school or? No, no, you you were no. you moved no, to Queens no. though eventually. Oh, yeah, right? I moved to Queens oh, okay. in 1960. Mm -hmm. oh, okay. I was in junior high school. I, actually, actually, I got left back in the second grade and the eighth grade, so I never made it out of junior high school. I quit when I was sixteen. Mm -hmm. In, uh, in the ninth grade, I was in the first grade. I was, was two it. years behind already, so mm -hmm. I was just getting in trouble and had bad grades except for history. Okay. And uh, so I decided, you know, uh, I'm going to quit school, and uh, I started working in the garage with my brother, uh, automatic transmissions. They showed me how to take apart oh, okay. the transmission. Okay. and doing that. And then my brother quit, so I got fired, and I worked as a grease monkey in Brooklyn in the garage. And I got fired there because uh, the guy said my heart wasn't into it, and I was uh, wow. really happy to get fired. And uh, so, you know, a little while after we saw the Beatles on, oh, I, before that, I think uh, we saw the Beatles on uh, 
and I knew that and I played guitar a little bit and I knew that this is what I wanted to do once you saw the Beatles yeah once so many people say I know a lot of people have seen the Beatles um like um when you saw them was on the end yeah yeah and that's it that from there on they became legend yeah that's it there's a there's a famous story that uh that Alice Cooper tells okay where he saw the Beatles as a kid right I think he was about 14 or some 15 and uh the parents were like oh my god what's this right but he loved them starts a band sounds just like them right and then the stones come a year later yeah, yeah. right and then the parents really shit not even right? a, yeah not even, a year. <laughs> not even yeah, six yeah, months yeah. later or something and then, the stones were months good. later the stones they they part five the searchers right um but uh as soon as as soon as uh I stayed home for about three or four or five months and uh, from the time I saw the Beatles and practiced my guitar five or six hours a day. So after that, after you, a few but months... But so you were really into that. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I was dedicated Obviously. to learn how to play uh, guitar, yeah. so I did. I played a pretty good rhythm guitar. So I went across the uh, Queens Boulevard to Forest Hills because I lived in the Rico Park. Uh -huh. And I met a guy, I knew a guy named Pete Hendelman. Uh, and he had an older brother, and uh, I used to hang out with his crew once in a while. Right. Uh, but, but I liked him because he played guitar really well. Okay. He could do all the Chuck Berry riffs, and cool. uh, he played Bonanza, the, the theme song. Theme from that. Oh, yeah. wow. And cool. I was like, I learned that from him. So I asked him, uh, you know, this was like in the summer of 64. I said, you want to put a band together? And he said, yeah, as long as... Uh, my friend Gordy, Gordy McLaren. Right. Well, Gordon McLaren can play bass, and he, he couldn't really play. He knew a couple of notes, and Pete said, I'll teach him all the parts, of, all the songs on okay. in, in our own time. And so he did. And the three of us were rehearsing, and uh, then the, we need, we finally said, okay, we need a drummer. Then we found this guy out in Long Island, Richie Pediascalzi. Mm -hmm. And uh, hard name to pronounce. Yeah, he, would, he, would ch he would change his name, right, to... Is that a different Richie? Richie Stone? Uh, well, that's what they called him. They called they him. Couldn't pronounce they couldn't Yeah, they gave him an easy name. Too, <laughs> They're like me. When the name is too long, I'll change it. <laughs> yeah. But he was like 22 years old. We were like oh, He was 16, a lot older than you guys. And he was a really good drummer, but he yeah. liked the, the fact that, uh, you know, we had long hair and we were doing, you know, we were, you know, uh, contemporary and... Uh, he, but his hair was kind of, he was already uh, receding, so he, he had a receding hair, <laughs> wow. so he could, <laughs> he's he definitely could his hair down, he tried a couple of times, it, it didn't work. He did the uh, He's in the back playing drums, it's not a big deal. Yeah, <laughs> being Gordy, you know, I had, I had my hair was still combed back, kind of combed back, you know, kind of Jerry and the pacemakers, though, yeah. but it was long, and Pete and Gordy had, was growing their hair long, but they had their hair greased up in a jelly roll. But when we were going to Manhattan, they combed the hair down, you know, yeah. take pictures like the one we have in the, in the magazine, yeah. in uh, Ugly Things magazine. I'm glad you brought that up because I want to give a shout out to, um, to Ugly Things magazine. Uh, this is something that comes out a couple times a year. You guys heard me talk about it several times. Uh, Ugly Things number 53 in particular is the one that Charlie is featured in. Um, let me just kind of like give a little backstory here how I got this how I hooked up with you okay yeah because yeah. it's kind of interesting Grease Monkey to guitar player I, that's impressive I, I know <laughs> and I only want to take a short short little sidetrack here because we're going to get back into it 
I've always liked a band called The Groupies. Okay, I've known yeah. about them for many, many years. And they, they've always been very mysterious because they've only had one single. There's a song called Primitive. Uh, and the flip side was a song called I'm a Hog for You. Primitive was covered by one of my favorite bands called The Cramps uh, on their second album. The Cramps? So, yeah, yeah, The Cramps. Yeah, I've heard of them. Yeah, they covered uh, Primitive, okay, on, yeah. the, on the Psychedelic Jungle album, their second album. So uh, Cramps fans and fans of, like, you know, 60s garage music always knew about this band, but very little was known about them. They were popular here in the city. They kind of left, went to L.A., and just kind of fell off the map. So this year... Um, a live recording was found and record and, and put on a on an album by I believe it's Sunday's Records. Sunday's, yeah. yeah, and uh, just came out in the last couple of months, and it has the the single uh, "Primitive" and "I'm a Hog for You," and a live show about ten songs. Them playing in California, and actually the great Kim Fowley actually introduces them in the in the in the concert. So Is it's it cool. like a DVD with the live show. It's no, no, it's not. No, it's not DVD. It's just an audio recording on, audio on album. Yeah, album CD. Uh, there's no video of them that's known as far as i've ever heard okay um but the thing is uh i, I wanted to do a show about them and and it's just it's hard to trace these people down uh i was told you said cooker was still alive well that's the thing i wanted to speak to cooker cooker was the lead singer and um there was in in this latest ugly things there was an interview back from back in 2004 that a guy named jeff jerima had done with cooker and Big shout out to Jeff because I've been in contact with him and he does a lot of liner notes on records. He writes for Ugly Things. He's a great guy. Very, very um, informative with the 60s music. He's very knowledgeable. Uh, he suggested that I speak to you because you were featured in the next article right right after the group. Yeah, is. okay. Okay. And he had done an interview with you. And there is a connection between your band and the groupies. Yeah, which, Pete and Gordy were right. in the Outsiders before the groupies. Right, oh. right, right. So, we'll, which we'll get to that story in a second, okay. how that happened. But the connection was, to, you know, between these two bands. And then I spoke to Charlie and I said, you know what? you got to come on the show. you got a lot of great stories. Let's talk about what you did. And, then and he knew, here we are. So, and he knew George. And he, and he also, right, also, uh, he was involved with the Left Bank. And the Left Bank uh, member, George Cameron, um, drummer, was a regular at uh, the International Bar where we all hang out, Rob works at, and George sadly passed away about two years ago. Um, and you were good friends with him. So it's a small world, this music business, right? Yeah, yeah. It, you know, yeah. it really is. It's funny yeah. how it all goes full circle. But I just wanted to sidetrack that and give you a little backstory. So The Outsiders was basically uh, you on rhythm guitar and vocals. You had Richie Stone as a drummer. Pete Hendelman on lead, and you had a guy named Mike Richards on rhythm, right? Well, his real name was, was Michael Ramirez. And he has an interesting little background. Why don't you tell him? Uh, yeah, well, I, I knew Mike from uh, junior high school, and I hadn't seen him in a couple of years. So uh, we, we put the outsides together when we were rehearsing at Richie's house out in Long Island right. in the basement. And, uh, and we were just rehearsing. We had no idea what we were doing, and... Uh, then uh, I get a, a knock at the door. And I was in Queens in Rio Park, and uh, I open the door. I see this guy. It looks like I thought it was Keith Richards. You know, and his hair down. I, I, said, I, said, what, what? I said, Keith. What are you doing? You know, and he said he started laughing and said, "It's me, Michael Ramirez from from uh, junior high school." I said, "Holy shit, Michael, come on in." 
So uh, this guy, Walter Zam, who had also had a Beatle haircut but didn't, wasn't a musician, had sent Michael over and told him I, I had a band and I had long hair. Yeah. So Michael said uh, he was putting the band together and he needed a guitar player. And I said, well, listen, uh, I already got a band together and we're playing songs and why don't you join our band? So at that point there was five of us. He came out and we, he played guitar and it wasn't that bad. Uh, you know, uh, it, it wasn't that good, but... Uh, <laughs> now, now, Mike, Mike kind of knew he looked like Keith Richards, right? Because yeah, he used yeah. to go around saying that yeah, he had an English Mike, accent, fake, a fake Mike, English accent. They were, <laughs> <laughs> well, Mike was the Manhattan connection. He brought us yeah. into Manhattan. Right, he lived know, in Manhattan, and, right? And uh, we were hanging, sort of hanging around in Manhattan. And I would see these, these kids with long hair, and one of them was George Cameron in the future, I think. They, they, they had these phony English accents and they would tell George people... George used to use a fake accent. Oh, like, <laughs> like Ramirez was telling people, yeah, I'm Keith Richards. And, you know, they yeah. would pick up... Gr and girls would believe Girls them, would or, believe it, yeah. Uh, yeah. Or they wanted to believe It's always about them, the girls. And, uh, you know, I tried it once, but my, my English accent wasn't that good. So I, <laughs> you should have spoke French. Oh, well, nobody knew any nobody French stars yeah. in those days. Would have been impressive, you know. But uh, <laughs> we, you know, we were in Manhattan. But Mike Ramirez brought us into Manhattan, and uh, you know, uh, we met these two producers. We were hanging out at Ham and Eggs, this diner on I think it was Fifty Second and Broadway. Right. And these and uh, he, he introduced yeah. us to these two producers, uh, Lockie Edwards and Ray Fleming. Ray Fleming right. went on to uh, manage Mandrill. Oh, later. Okay. And uh, so they 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 said, uh, listen, well, we we uh, we were interested in, in uh, producing, uh, making a recording with with the long haired band. We want to do this right away. And I they just happened to see you in the in the restaurant. Yeah, hanging well, Mike out. knew them. Mike oh, he knew, knew them. them. Okay. And he he knew what was happening with them, and they had an office right next to Ham and Eggs upstairs, or that they shared with uh, about twelve other guys. Yeah. All black guys. Okay. And. Um, so, you know, they they uh, they they brought us up to a rehearsal studio, and we played a couple of tunes, and they were like really happy. They said, "Oh, these guys can actually play." Yeah. You know, and uh, they, they they thought, well, if we couldn't play it, we get studio guys to do the songs. Yeah. So then they took us uh, to uh, the Brill Building to a publisher. And we met a couple of songwriters, uh, a guy named Stone and somebody else I don't know. Yeah. Who wrote the Outsider and the another guy another couple of guys that wrote the, the guy with the Liverpool hair which was a funny song yeah. we didn't really like that did, did, was it was it at a, was it kind of done seriously or almost as a novelty kind of a song like that no they they, they were doing it the A side was supposed to be the outsiders right and they were doing it they were very serious about it they we didn't like the songs it wasn't our kind of thing and uh, but they said the outside is going to be the A side, and and uh, it's going to be a hit, and you guys are going to be rich. But it ended up being the other way, right? Yeah, I think so. Well, you I know, think the Liverpool the Liverpool hair one is the A side. We went we went in we re, we recorded these two songs with, with them at Mirror Sound, which was a, a, a state of the art studio that Phil Spector was recording the Ronettes mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. before that. Yes, wow. And uh, it we was did a, a show about track that. Mm -hmm. because there wasn't anything more than four tracks at the time. We did it, it sounded okay. Uh, they wanted Mike Ramirez to, to sing the lead, but he couldn't sing it that well, so we all sang the lead in unison. Yeah. I ended up being the lead singer of the band, because nobody else could sing. 
you know, but Pete and Gordy did harmony, could do harmonies and yeah. stuff, and uh, they sang the harmonies on uh, The Outsiders, right. and you some harmonies, and uh, so all of us singing it together, it sounded okay, and the guy with the Liverpool, uh, we did it, all sang in unison with the whole thing. Now, uh, I, I, I saw some uh, kind of short little reviews about that, that single. Yeah. And... Uh, Everybody seemed to, to really like the, the guy with the long Liverpool hair. Yeah, it was a funny song. It, it was a funny song. And uh, for anybody that wants to hear it, it's, it's on the Rock Show group page right now as the uh, Rocker Mike song of the day. So check yeah, that out. It that. was an yeah. old guy you saw me with. Yeah. It was an old guy, I swear. Oh, no. It was an old girl you saw me with. It was an old girl, I swear. It was a guy... From where I work with that long Liverpool, Liverpool hair, some guys wear. That was <laughs> yeah, like yeah. the, you know, the chorus. It's real catchy. It's real catchy. Now, the critics seem to really like that one, but the outsider, they kind of they kind of crapped on a little bit. A, a couple of a couple of reviews. Yeah. But but I gotta be honest with you, I like the song. Yeah. I, re I really do because yeah. it's 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 a it's this typical '60s song that's kind of like about a breakup. Like he's saying, like you know, my relationship's so great, there isn't room for an outsider. But then the girl is like seeing some other guy, yeah. you know. So it's it's a nice little twist. It's a good song. It's a yeah. good song. So we recorded the songs, but uh, it, it wasn't re that was in the, uh, six, uh, the fall of '64, mm -hmm. and uh, it wasn't released till I think April '65. Okay. Right before the band broke up. Now think about that. You're you know fall of '64. We didn't even know. Yeah. Because we, we had you know yeah. we weren't seeing Lockie and Ray. Mm -hmm. At that point, we had forgotten about them, but we were assigned to them to a five-year contract. Oh, you know, and uh, we didn't know it was on the contract. You know, yeah, they had you it. locked in for five years like yeah, that. Yeah, wow. our parents signed the permission. Oh, your parents had to sign it. Yeah, well, they, they had to sign permission for us to sign the contract. Right, we were under eighteen, except for Richie. Oh wow. wow, wow, wow! I didn't even realize that you needed to get your parents. Yeah, yeah, if you were under eighteen. If you were, on, yeah, you were too young. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, how was the industry back there? Like, was it like a battle to get signed, or you just guys met these producers and pretty much they were like, you well, guys wanted? Well, you know, to... it's like who you knew and uh, you know your music and stuff. And uh, we hadn't really played out yet. We, we recorded that song before we started playing in clubs, and uh, right. So, and we used to hang out at, at the, a lot at, at the scene. I was just going to ask you about the that Steve because the, scene. The, the the scene was a was a famous spot here in the city for. For bands, I think mostly. Well, at, mostly at the it was time. At the time yeah. when we started hanging out there, it was an after theater dinner club. Okay. And uh, they had uh, they had like comedians and uh, yeah. Richie, Richie Pryor was the house comedian. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and, wow. he, and he wasn't dirty then, right? He was, and, well, no, no, he was he dirty. To get no, dirty. No, he was. Yeah. I mean, the first time I saw him, I mean, I I was laughing so hard. And my stomach hurt, and I wanted him to stop, but he kept going. And he was funny. Then he jumped Brian off the stage. He jumped off the stage with his microphone and got in somebody's face that was sitting at the table in front. He said, "This nigga's crazy." <laughs> and everybody, everybody started laughing. And some oh of the people God. at the table they got up and walked out. Oh, they didn't like it. Ah, man. So, you had to get it. You well, just had to get it. He got back on stage, and <laughs> I mean, he was so funny and, wow. such a, and such a nice guy. But anyway, years later, in 1984, I was in L.A. for a couple of days with my friend Ronnie Singer. We were roommates a lot, a lot over the years. And we saw Richie sitting in a, in a, in a, in a restaurant we were in, and, and Ronnie went over to him and started talking. And Richie looks at me, and he waves, he waves me over and says, Hey, Charlie, how's it going? 
and he remembered my name. I said, wow, does he remember my name? And he goes, yeah, yeah, I remember you were a musician at the scene. Yeah. And, uh, his memory was really good. We, we hung around with him for about an hour. And, uh, now, it's, you said the scene was mostly like comedians and, you know, and after, after jazz, hour stuff, jazz, uh, jazz and stuff. And but you guys, jazz, you guys. Uh, piano you, player, I think his name was Junior Mance. Okay. He became kind of were, were you guys the first, like, rock rock band to play there? Well, uh, we, were, we were the first, like, contemporary long-haired band. Long-haired rock band, yeah. But okay. there was a band I saw, uh, the only rock, rock band I saw there was this band with purple hair, but they had their hair combed back, wreathed up with jelly Purple hats? Yeah, and they were doing, like, 50 songs. Okay. They were good, but I said, well, this band's never going to make it with that purple hair there. They were like 10 years too early with that, you know? Uh, yeah, <laughs> 15 yeah. years early. The only thing uh, uh, contemporary about them was the purple hair. And, yeah. And, and, uh, but even that thing wasn't around yet. Wow. So, wow. Charlie, let me ask you a question. Most times before you do a record recording, a lot of times you're playing in bands. Like you're playing in different concerts all. Yeah, so well, you can get somebody to, but you guys did it the other way yeah, around. You recorded yeah, it. The you recorded the, the yeah, album and guys, then you started playing. Two, two guys. Uh, were just, uh, they were actually just Broadway hustlers. You know, yeah. Two black okay. Broadway hustlers. Yeah. That, uh, you know, were looking for a quick... Uh, quick buck for a band know, to make, and, make a few dollars. And they, 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 they the, the English, uh, the, the British invasion was happening and everything sure. was exciting. Did, we, did you play those songs live at the scene? Yeah, we played them live yeah. at the scene. Wow. And, yeah. and uh, we played those songs and another club that we played after the scene called the El Mio. Yes, that was in the Delmonico Hotel, yeah. right? That was the first discotheque in New York. First disco. And but wow. this, the yeah. scene had, but the scene had a, a, a guy playing the records, his name was uh, uh, Terry Culkin. Right. And his sister was a, became a big movie star, Bonnie Bedelia. And, and uh, Terry would be playing, playing the uh, records when nobody was on stage. And, uh, so he was I, like the DJ. Yeah, he was yeah. the DJ, and he was a really cool guy, and we used to get some really good hash from him. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> gotta have that hash connection. Yeah, the hash, right? <laughs> you know, to, the DJs. <laughs> DJs always got the good drugs. He used to go to Philadelphia, you know, the guy that would get all the drugs from the Merchant Marines that would come in. Holy shit. So, sure, they had the best stuff. Know, he would have big bars. He would have Napoli's fingers and balls, Napoli's balls. Oh, man. You know, uh, Afghani, Pakistani. Yep. He had the good stuff. <laughs> yeah, the, the best hash we smoked was this Moroccan wafers. They were like really thin. I took one hit of that, God. and uh, you were tripping. I mean, yeah. you actually were tripping. And uh, I never saw anything like that. After. Yeah, that's some strong stuff. So he, he was getting all the good, the really good stuff. Wow, wow, wow. We were all, we were all. Now, when you played the uh, the Il Mio. You kind of like the the house band at one point. You were playing there enough to be called that. Yeah. First, let me tell you about the scene. Yeah. We we uh, we were hanging out at the scene, and, and so I, I told Steve Paul, the guy on the scene, right. it was called Steve Paul, the scene. The scene. It wasn't Steve and, and Paul. And this was a, this was in Hell's Kitchen. This club. Yeah, it was on Forty yeah. Sixth Street, uh, west of Eighth Avenue, right off the corner. Mm -hmm. There was a, a diner on the corner. We used to call the Greasy Spoon that we used to go to uh, and eat. And uh, actually, Steve Paul bought the diner at one point and called it the Greasy Spoon. <laughs> and it was open for about a year or so. Yeah. But one night at the scene, I said, 
to Steve Ball. I said, listen, uh, why don't you get my band to, to play here? Because we got long hair, and, and, and this is what's happening now. And, you know, and you got all these old-time kind of stuff. And he said, okay, we'll try it out one night. Uh, you can you can play uh, uh, on uh, Tuesday or something. So, uh, and, and I said to him, well, uh, okay. So we ended up playing, and he said, yeah, I want you guys to play like three nights a week or something. I said, uh, okay. And then I went back to the band. I said, yeah, he wants us to play a few nights a week. And they said, how much are you going to pay us? So I went back to Steve and I said, well, how much are you going to pay us? He goes, well, you can have a free Coca-Cola and, and food. And then, so I told the band, free Coca-Cola <laughs> and food. And we said, okay, we'll, we'll try it because, you know, we were, you know, playing anywhere. And you want to get exposure anyway. Yeah. You want to be exposed. You want to get yeah, exposure. Yeah, someone did music, yeah. And, uh, so we were playing there for like, uh, for months, for months, and uh, cheers. Cheers. And uh, for months, and, uh, and we met all these people, and uh, we started doing like private parties. There was this guy, Earl Mack, he owned Mack Trucks. And so he had us uh, play at the scene, he had a, his private birthday party or something. And, uh, but you got paid for that. Yeah, well. we got paid for that. I think we got like 20 bucks each or something, which was a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so the, we met this guy, Timmy Everett. He said he was the manager of uh, the El Mio. Right. And uh, he wanted us to play. Timmy Everett was a, was an actor also. He was in a big uh, movie called The Music Man or something like that. I heard he, that, yeah. He was the going out with Tuesday Well. Yes. And, uh, his, you, know, you said he went out with Tuesday Well? Yeah, he was Damn. before that. He, not at the time, but yeah. before that. He was, Lucky man. Yeah, he, but he was a, a, a gay guy. And, uh, well, <laughs> his one experience was with Tuesday Well, man. Yeah, I know. She dumped him. She dumped him. Like, and she found out what he liked. Yeah. And, uh, so, so he told us that he would pay us each $25 a night to play there. Yeah. So we would get like $125 a night. And we would play like five, five nights a week. I think it was at least five nights, maybe six sometimes. And so we told Steve, "Listen, we got another a paying gig here, so we're gonna leave." And then he said, he asked me, he said, "Can you, uh, can you uh, find me another long-haired band to come down and play?" So I went out to Queens. Yep. And uh, these guys I knew. Uh, uh, the vagrants. Yeah, the vagrants yes. was Leslie and Larry Leslie West. West, yes. Uh, Weinstein. Yes, uh, from Mountain, Leslie you West. Know, uh, wow. And uh, so I, they were playing in a, in a, I heard they were playing in a bowling, bowling alley in Forest Hills on Austin Street, called the Austin Street Bowling Alley. Yes. So I walked in with my long hair, and these guys had long hair already, and they, every, and this was the, the neighborhood I used to hang around with, hang around in before that. Yeah. And, uh, they looked at me, they didn't recognize me, you know. And, you know, they, they, and when I told them what I was, they thought I was going to beat them up or something. Because <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we had different gangs back in those yeah. days. Yeah, You know, we had the, uh, the Catholic ba gang. Ba bands were gangs. Yeah, yeah. We had the Catholic band called the Apostles, and yeah. the Jewish, Jewish, Jewish guys had the King uh, band. No, yep. And uh, so we used to rumble there when I was oh, yeah. 14, 15. Wow. Zip guns? <laughs> huh? Zip guns? Yeah, we used to make zip guns with uh, uh, Charlie, we, Charlie. Luckily, Charlie. nobody shot T themselves tell, in the foot. Tell, tell the world how to make a zip gun. Uh, well, we used to, you take a cap pistol, you take it apart, 
you, uh, cap pistol. You, uh, you take an antenna off, off a car. car. You have to break it off a car that's already right. there. And, right? that would, <laughs> and, and then you, you fit it in the cap pistol, and, and that would fit a 22 short. Yeah. And then uh, you would put rubber bands around as a hammer, <laughs> and then you pull the and, and you shoot it, and that, you know after four or five times the thing would go off. Now, did you ever think after 60 years of music you would be describing how to make a zip code on a podcast? <laughs> That's funny, man. That's great, yeah. I mean, it, in those days, it was crazy. One day, I'll tell the story about my father and the gangs he was in, please. It's, Yo, it's nuts. But, um, all right, so so there is a story about when you were playing the that first disco. Yeah, so I got I got the, the vagrants to come oh, in. Oh, right, sorry. To, uh, to, I brought them in to... I did introduce the scene. them to Steve Paul, and they played. Steve liked them, and they said, okay, you can play. And I said, well, you know, adios. So uh, I didn't see those guys for uh, until like 1969. When they took off. You, when uh, Mountain, Mountain they, they were yeah. living in Woodstock, Leslie, and he wasn't playing with the vagrants anymore. And uh, I ran into uh, his brother, Larry, and Larry ended up moving in with me in New Falls oh, in a trailer. For a few months, and uh, we were taking drugs. And, uh, the drugs at, at that time we were going to, uh, downtown, and uh, you know but that was '69, '70. And uh, I was still playing in bands around the Hudson Valley, so I had gone gone up there in '67 to join a band called the Silver Bike. Silver Bike. I was going to ask wow, you about you that. Know, we had a, a minor hit in the area in the Hudson Valley. Right. Back right. At that time. We're going back to the uh, Outsiders, uh, so we started playing at, at the El Mio, which was uh, an upscale Park Avenue club in, wow. in the Delmonico Hotel, and which had all these, you know, high-class people uh, going there. Not like the scene. The scene was a, uh, you know, Hell's Kitchen, Hell's Kitchen after, after the theater, place. dinner club, you yeah. know. All the low lives right out, you know. But uh, I mean, I remember, you know, getting into Nicky Featherstone's uh, Facebook one time because he he, oh. he he told me you know, I was talking to this girl. He told me to get lost, and I went in his face. I think he got a fucking call. Oh, and cool. he said, "Oh no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry." You know, he, 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 he's you know, dead, right? Yeah, he's yeah, dead. Yeah, he yeah, died yeah, a fixture in Hell's Kitchen. Yes, a big fixture. A big fixture in Hell's Kitchen. Well, you, you grew up in Hell's yeah. Kitchen, you know. Yeah, I'm you born know. and raised in Hell's Kitchen. Yeah, so, uh, so we started playing at the El Mio, and, and, and all these, uh, you know, there were private parties there for uh, the vice president of Brazil, and oh. uh, for Bobby, Bobby Kennedy. And, uh, really? Then we, we played for Mayor Lindsay's inaugural party. It was a big deal. When he became mayor in, in 65. Wow, man. And, uh, he was a tall, good-looking good guy, really friendly. He came over and shook our hands. Cool. And then we played one night. We played for uh, 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 Brian Epstein's birthday party. No shit. Oh, and, wow. Uh, <laughs> so, wow. You know, and there Beatles was a guy magic. there that looked like a greaser with... with uh, with the jelly roll in his hair. Yeah, he guy. was hanging out, and he bumped into Pete Hendel with my guitar player, and Pete said, watch where the fuck you're walking, you know? And then we found out later that that was John Lennon. <laughs> <laughs> so I was screaming at Pete, I said, how could you say that to John Lennon? You didn't he, recognize he, him? No, he had a jelly roll, and he had well, Before they grew their hair out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he was like the old John Lennon, before yeah. the real hair right, color. Right. 
So and, he was uh, just hanging out. And, and there were like all these people, and then one night we heard that, uh, okay, Phil Spector. In, in That's the what house. I was going to ask you about, Phil Spector. He used to live in the Delmonico Hotel six months out of the year, and then he lived in L.A. six months right. out of the year. So Phil came down, and uh, he heard us play. So, so we opened up with a song called Little by Little that the Stones did. Little Phil's, by Little. That yep. the, Phil Spector wrote. Yeah, uh, he did write that. That's right. I forgot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And so we opened up with that song because we used to do that song. song. And Phil, like, he loved it right away. He, sure. You know, he was, like, looking. And well, you were playing his song. Yeah. Of course he loved yeah. it. So we went through That's the how set. he is. <laughs> and, uh, and then we went through the set, and then they, he came and he said, come on, sit down with me. So we were sitting down with him, and he said, uh, listen, after, this, after you know, you guys get off tonight, can we jam? Can I jam with you guys? You know, and I suspect. Oh, shit. I said, yeah, sure, man. So, uh, you know, after we played like four or five sets, it was like three in the morning, and we were tired, but, you know, we're still Spectre. And uh, so I, I picked up the bass because Gordy couldn't improvise. He just played what he Pete showed him to play. So it. I started playing, and and then uh, Phil started. You know, he played guitar and he started singing all these songs that he wrote. You know, names uh, Rose in Spanish. Oh, right. Oh, right. 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 That's a great and song. He, he was doing. Uh, Ron S. Be My Baby and stuff. He was doing like, he had dozens of hits. Wow. And he, I think he even did To Love, Love, Love. No, no, we used to love him. He didn't put out a gun on you guys? No, no, no. He did to the Ramones. He did to the groupies, too. Wait a minute. And when I went to LA in 66, he did, I'll tell you that. Yeah, tell it after. Yeah, yeah, Wow, I didn't know that. So we played, you know, we were trying to get off the stage. We were so tired, and the time went by, and it was like 8 in the morning, and it was getting, you know, and then finally, we, you know, we started falling asleep on stage, and so we stopped playing, and, you know, we, we left and we walked outside, it was like noon or something. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys jammed all night with Phil. Yeah, in those That's days, awesome. in those days awesome. we could go get some speed. And, uh, go, for, go for two days. And, yeah. 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 Get so the good shit, the Colombian one. Yeah. So we played at the, uh, right, like. we played at the, uh, uh, the El Mio. Right. Uh, and sometimes we used to sleep up in the hotel, you know, because uh, he, uh, upstairs, because Timmy Everett had a suite up there. Crash out! Oh, so you yeah. could crash out for and a few hours. We would, uh, we would use the Rolls Royce that uh, this guy uh, Shankus, his name is Shankus. He owned the hotel. He would let us go. We went to, Jeez. we went to, uh, <laughs> what a life. Wow. Uh, we went around, you know, the Rolls Royce in the city. Everybody thought we were rock stars. Yeah. And they we were saying, "Well, what band are you in?" And we would say, "Well, you know, we're, we're the, the rock stars." <laughs> Outside with Keith Richards. Yeah, yeah. And you guys got a Rolls Royce. It's a new band with Keith Richards in it. Keith Richards. <laughs> yeah, I said, yeah, as soon as you, you, you grow your long hair, you get a limo and a Rolls Royce. You know, it doesn't matter if you're famous. Now, now, I, got, I, got, I got to mention, because the Stones have come up several times. Uh, yesterday was actually, I think it's yesterday or today. Might be yesterday. Is the 51st anniversary of Brian Jones passing away. Yeah, I met him once in front of Andean's. I got him in. They wouldn't, they wouldn't let him in, and I yeah. told him he was part of the wrong something, so they let him in. They let him in? Wow. Did you talk to him at all? Uh, no, I, he said thanks. You yeah, know, that was and it. And then, uh, 
And, and it's interesting because uh, there's a new DVD out. Uh, it's a new documentary by Danny Garcia. He's the guy who did uh, Looking for Johnny Thunders. He did a documentary on The Clash. He's done a couple of documentaries on Sid Vicious and Sid I met Nancy. Johnny Thunders at the Milk Bar around 1980. Johnny Thunders is one of my all-time favorites. Yeah, yeah. Five. I, he said, I said, Look, what's your name? And he said, Johnny Thomas. I said, I heard of you. I think he used to play at the Brooklyn Box or something. Not, no. No? No, no. He was, he was the guitar player in the New York Dolls. Oh, yeah, okay. right, right. Yeah, and then I, he... I saw those guys play up in Harlem before they, they, they had a name. There was this guy, Jack, I knew that was managing them. Hold on a minute. I got to interrupt you. Good friend of mine, okay? Ooh. Jack? Rick, no, not Jack. A guy named Rick Ribbits, okay? Rick Rivets started the New York Dolls. If yeah. you saw them early on uptown yeah. at, at, at a show before they had a name. No, it was a, it was a high school. They were rehearsing in, in, a, in a high school. Rick Rivets. It might have been. Rick, Rick, Rick Rivets started the New York Dolls with the bass player Arthur Kane. They found Johnny Thunders on the street, on Bleecker Street. Well, it was a guy that they knew from the clubs because he dressed yeah. He had all the cool British clothes, yeah. right? And these two guys, Arthur and Rick, were actually stealing a motorcycle on Cornelia Street when they saw him. <laughs> okay, the story goes. Okay, and they're like, "Hey, that's the guy from, uh, uh, you know, like Cafe Bazaar or something like that, right?" Right. And and uh, they talked to him. You want to start a band? And it was originally the three of them, and then they had a, a drummer named Billy. Okay, and that was the original Billy Michaels. Billy Mercia. Oh, uh, yeah. Billy Mercia. I knew. Uh, Sylvain, Sylvain. Yeah. Later on. In Sylvain, the 80s, Sylvain took friends. Rick's spot in the band. Oh, okay. So okay. Sylvain, Sylvain was uh, he was a North African guy from Paris. Yeah, he was from Egypt. He was right. Egyptian. Yeah. Yeah. We spoke. We used to speak French together. He just he just wrote. You know what? I haven't read it yet, but I'm going to read it because you. Might, I wonder if he mentioned you, because he just wrote a book that came out last year called uh, "There's No Bones in Ice Cream." That's the name of his biography. That's a, that's a great okay. title. Yeah, and he 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 says great things about Rick Rivets in it, but I'm wondering if he if maybe he would mention you. I got to read the book. Uh, I didn't know until the uh, mid '80s, and uh, mm -hmm. I, I wasn't playing in bands at that point. I stopped okay. playing in bands. So okay. I was doing other things. But we we we're, we're like my my roots in music is is that whole '70s New York scene and yeah. the '80s New York scene. Yeah. So like when it comes to the Dolls and Thunders and you know all that stuff. Yeah, That's I know everything. Yeah, about then that. I saw the dolls hanging out at Max's. Max's, yeah. 1972. Right. And then uh, I, I thought the lead singer looked too much like Jagger. Jagger. Yeah. And they were doing all the Rolling Stones and songs that we were doing in the, in the 60s. So you say you weren't really a fan? Uh, no, a I bit? thought they weren't that good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they, they were on the wave. They were on yeah. the wave. The, the punk wave. Yeah. Well, they were uh, pre-punk. They were almost dead. They yeah, they, they influenced it. Yeah. You know, they influenced it. We're going back to uh, the Outsiders. Yeah. So uh, we put, we were playing. Uh, we did uh, these gigs and, uh, and we were getting paid and we had a couple of bucks in our you know making a buck twenty five or buck fifty a week you know uh, cash. We weren't paying taxes. We Which wasn't bad. Which wasn't bad back then. Right. Right. Good. My old man was just making about two hundred a week working at the plaza as a chef. Yeah. And. Uh, so they, my parents were happy about what we were doing. Uh, I, I was just turned 17 when we started playing at the O'Neill. And uh, one time we played at a, a mansion for, a, for the uh, ex-senator Benton was throwing this uh, 
It's a party, and uh, we played for like 5,000 people. And, uh, a party like that, how much will you get paid? Do you get, get paid for that? Or? Yeah, we got a few hundred bucks. But more than what you did the hotel gigs, right? You get a little bit more. Well, I think you... we made some money there. We had our own cottage on, on the estate. Actually, okay, wow. It, it was a huge, I'm talking about a huge mansion, like uh, Downton Abbey. But, uh, and uh, it, the, the front yard was about uh, a thousand acres. That went right onto the oh, ocean. Oh my God. And there was like movie stars there. I remember meeting June Havoc, who was wow. a 40s movie star with a Gypsy Rose and yes. his sister. Yeah. And uh, there were like all this, uh, there was uh, a Commander Whitehead there. They used to do some kind of commercial on, on the TV about the soap or something. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was in that, it's, we had an interesting time. Then, you know, finally, uh, in uh, the late summer, I think, or around there, we, we got laid off of the, the band. <coughs> uh, I think Timmy Everett got fired from uh, being the manager at the El Mio, and we got oh, laid sh- off. So we were roaming around trying to find a gig, and we finally found a gig at a place called Our Place. Where was that? It was on the uh, east, uh, something like 45th Street. Okay. And. Uh, so we, we got a gig for a week. The, 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 the manager there, his name was John Harrison. But I think it was a Goombach from Brooklyn. <laughs> Using a different name. And, uh, and so we, we, we played there a couple of nights. And one night, these two guys came in that, that we knew from Queens. And uh, they, had, they, had gave, they gave Pete some downs, some barbiturates. This is before the show. It was during, you know, we played like five sets. Then. Oh, all right, right, right. And uh, wow. so when we were yeah, about to go out on stage, uh, we couldn't find Pete. You know, so I'm looking sure. around. I looked down this long hallway. <laughs> with, there was no people sitting there. And, you know, <laughs> I walked down. I see Pete laying on the floor, you know, so we picked him up. He was foaming at the mouth. Oh. So I said, get him to the hospital. And Richie had a car. So we put him in, in Richie's car, and they took him to the, he, he took him to the hospital. And then, so we were, there was, luckily there was a guy there named Mike Nelson, who was a drummer that used to DJ at, at, the, uh, at the El Mio, took that spot from uh, this guy, Black Eyed Billy. And he was from Beacon, New York. He was in a band called the, the Lost Souls, and that played at Andean, I saw him play. And he was a great drummer, so he said he would fill in. So, so Pete was gone, and the drummer was gone, so I had to sing and play lead. And, and Mike Ramirez was playing rhythm guitar, and his, his guitar was always out of tune. And we used to turn off his amp half the time. <laughs> but he looked great. He looked like Keith Richards. He, he looked great. Sing. He just sounded like great. shit. It didn't matter, you know. And, uh, and he couldn't sing right. that well. And so we good. did we did a set or two, and uh, the... the uh, John Harrison, the, the manager, and uh, he said, listen, I'm going to fire you guys. I don't like, you know, what's going on. on. The guy's all being here, and uh, you guys don't sound as good as you do when you got a band together. And so he fired us, and so I got together with the guys a few days later. I said, listen, I'm, I, I'm quitting this band, because I can't do this, this drug thing okay, with okay, people all being, and, yeah. uh, and Mike couldn't tune the guitar. Was, was, and, Gordy, was Gordy getting high in those days, too? Because uh, uh, the groupies have that kind of rep. Yeah, yeah, well, what happened, uh, Stephen A. was on the scene. I remember Stephen him a. being at our place and, and, and telling us he, he wanted to record, but he wanted 
daughter needed lead singer, and the daughter couldn't really sing. Yeah. And uh, I thought this guy, Steve Benet, was just, you know, I, I, I wasn't crazy about it. He said he was French. I think I spoke French when he was French. Yeah. But, uh, so I quit the group, and, uh, and so I started wandering around by myself, you know, hanging out at the scene, going down to the village, looking for something to get into. And one night, I saw, I saw my, my friend Mike Nelson, the drummer, you know, he was sitting on a park bench in the village, on 6th Avenue, right off of the Third Street, uh -huh. in that park, and I said, uh, I said, hey man, what's going on, what are you doing? I was just about to get in the subway to go out to Queens. Yeah, oh parents. wow. And find a basketball court somewhere. Yeah, right yeah, there, yeah, right, yeah, right yeah. there, across the street. And then, uh, on a bench. Right. And I said, what are you doing? He said, well, I was going to go to sleep. It was about three or four in the morning. He said, I was going to go to sleep right here. <laughs> I said, what? He, I said, you don't have a place to stay? He goes, no, no, I don't know. I might go back upstate. And I said, listen, you crash with me at my parents' house. If they won't mind, they're cool. And so I brought him out to my parents' house in Queens. And, uh, you know, the next morning, you know, uh, my, father, my, my mother would go went to work at 8 o'clock in the morning. And my father gets up. He used to get up around 11 to go to work at the plaza. And uh, he start, you know, he said, who's this guy? And I said, oh, it's my friend. He didn't have a place to stay. You know, and I used to bring people home and, yeah. and animals and dogs and stuff. And, <laughs> and so and we were talking, I was speaking French with my, my father. He didn't speak English that well. So Mike started speaking French. Oh. And right away, my father liked Mike him. liked him because of that. Sure, you know, and sure. And he told my father he was born in England. Which he was, yeah. And but he lived in the Quebec uh, province in Canada in the French-speaking area. That's how he picked it up. That's how he picked yeah, it that's up. That's the way he picked up. Lives. So my father liked him right away. So he was the, you know, we added him to the family. Right. Away. My brother had uh, gotten married already, and moved out, and uh, was living a few blocks away with his wife. Now, how did how did you you did you discover that, you know, uh, the two guys from formerly the Outsiders were in the groupies? Well, I went to I went to the scene. Uh, it was late, I think it was late 1965, and I heard the group, the Pete and Pete and Gordy were playing there, and uh, so I saw them play. And they were great. Yeah. I, th I thought the, they were playing this song of old man and woman. Yeah. I never heard it before, but I thought that was great. And they played. Yeah. They were really kind of blues, blues rock stuff. Yeah. And, he could have played really good rhythm guitar. And he had this distinctive voice yeah, yeah. That, that you couldn't he mistake him. Yeah. He was a little guy. He was a little short guy. Yeah, yeah. And uh, his, uh, actually, he had a French name, the, the Rosier. Ro Ro yeah, yeah, which right. Which means the Rosary. The Rosary, right. And um, his father was from Nova Scotia. Now, now when, I spoke with, when I spoke with Jeff Jarima, in relation to the the ugly things interview that he had done with him, with a cooker, uh, I, I you know I said is the guy still alive? I'd love to talk to him, look him up. And Jeff had no idea. Nobody knows where the guy is. Yeah, I heard I heard the other guys uh, passed away. Pete and Gordy passed away. Oh, um, Gordy O'Deed I heard, and I don't know what happened to Pete. Uh, somebody said he was working the. the Bakery counter at Panthers in L.A. But before he passed away. Now Cooker, you know, got his name because he was the guy who cooked the dough. Yeah, he was cooking. The he dog. was cooking the wow. dough. Wow. So and then Steve Benet got them all hooked 
So he was Con trying, he was control kind of Spengali. Spengali type. I, yeah. I found out later when I read the article because I never saw these guys again. I saw them once in L.A. and uh, he would just keep them high all the time. And, and, and unless they went out and played somewhere, but they, they were down with it because like Cooker in the interview tells Jeff that you know even before they had the band. He would be in Washington Square Park playing an acoustic guitar and selling pills for a quarter out of the guitar. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, so they they were doing drugs before that. You know, so they were doing yeah. They, they were down. In, in those days, uh, downs were a no-no. Uh, hot, hash, and ups were okay. You know, speed was okay because yeah. you were stale. Downs, you would fall asleep. So, yeah. You know, that, that was, was no like good. we we didn't like that. Uh, most of the, the, the long-haired guys didn't like the. the down and, uh, well, it wasn't until years later that all that shit would come in, you know, heroin and all that stuff. Yeah, right? late, uh, late 60s. 70, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that's that's an interesting thing because if you watch, like, Gimme Shelter, the Rolling Stones movie about Altamont, yeah. um, and you see how all the, the, the people at Altamont are fucking totally out of their mind, okay? And, and it's really because there's such a big difference between, like, the drugs in the summer of love, 67, and the drugs in 69, okay? I mean, it was like well, way harder drugs. Well, you had, had the, 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 the Kung Fu flu. What <laughs> was uh, the Hong Kong flu. <laughs> a lot of kids were taking speed and LSD. Yeah. And uh, in 65, this guy Billy, I used to be the DJ at the O'Neill. We were at the, our place playing. Billy came and he said, I got a new drug. And we said, a new drug, what is it? He said, LSD. And I LSD. said, oh my God. Said, is it an up or a down? He said, it's neither. We said, what do you mean it's neither? You just trip for 12 hours. He said, he said you, know, you can't tell, you, you know when you take it. So you gave it all, everybody in the outside took it. <laughs> <laughs> Before the last set. Oh, you're tripping while you're playing? Yeah. Oh, no. So we took it, we got on, we started playing. So by the end of, by the, end of the, uh, the set, Things started to get a little wavy. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and the, but there were two go-go girls dancing. That, on must, have, that must have looked good. And, and yeah, we were, I was like looking at the go-go girls, and they started getting funny looking. And, and after 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 the show, we, we packed up, and we ended up walking to the go-go girls' house apartment. Uh oh. And we were walking, and, and it, it, it was hitting us like like crazy. I remember. That we we went, went by and we were looking inside the chandelier store with the chandeliers and when the cars drove by, all the lights and everything was like a kaleidoscope and we were like, oh, you know, we were just tripping balls. hard now. We stayed there for about 45 minutes looking at this. And then the, the girl said, come on, let's go back to our, so we went back to the apartment and uh, Things were getting really weird and stuff. Yeah. And the girls started, you know, they, they knew, they weren't on acid, but they knew about it. I think they had tripped and they started talking about spiders. And freak you out. Oh stuff my to God. freak you out. Yeah, that's the worst. And so <laughs> I left and I went home and, uh, you know, I came down. And, uh, 12 hours later. Yeah, I they did. said, what the fuck was yeah. that? Wow. I forget the first time I took, like, I took a hit of acid and I got stuck just looking at this teriyaki. Remember the teriyaki boys? Those yeah. big, yes. like, Japanese head? Yeah. And I was what like, year was that? <laughs> this is probably, like, in the early, like, early, um, late, late 80s, like, 89, when 90. I took, when I, took I was like, holy motherfucker, this head just kept talking to me. <laughs> I, I was took, like, what the fuck? <laughs> when we took the acid, 
it was still illegal. It hadn't become illegal. Right, because they didn't know about oh, it. Yeah. Well, they were passing the yeah, law, that. and Billy said that oh, this is going to be illegal in, in about a month. And uh, so we said, well, we, you know, we're going to take it now, you know. Yeah. Do, do you remember? Do you remember the movie with Vincent Price called The Tingler? Yeah. Okay. Of course, yeah. Do you remember how he shoots himself with acid? In that movie, was it acid? It was. It was. Yeah, it was acid. Yeah, he, that was a fifties movie. It, late early sixties. Wow. Was, like, William Castle. It's a movie about a guy. He's a scientist, Vincent Price, mm -hmm. and he's trying to figure out what makes people scared. And it turns out he discovers that when you get really frightened, like really deadly scared, there's a creature in your back that, that comes that goes up your spine. It it's alive. Like a worm it looks like legs. a worm, like a centipede. Yeah. Kind of, right. And and. He, he to, to do an experiment on it to bring it out, he trips. Okay, oh my and, God. And, and he actually he actually shoots himself up with LSD, which you in those you probably could have done yeah. in those days maybe because it, it was a liquid. Still legal. They yeah, were, yeah, yeah, they did. They, they, they were experimenting. Well, you, yeah, I mean when you do acid, you just put it on your tongue, but but this was like yeah. earlier than that. So when he does it, he actually brings the creature out of his body. It's like a black worm yeah, thing, right, and, it, right, right. and when it grabs onto you, it doesn't yeah. let go. It's it's fucked up. Oh, it's, fu it's it's fucked up. And uh, yeah, so Vincent Price did acid in a movie. That's wow! Cool. You know, so just to get the feature out. Back after seeing the uh, yeah. the, the groupies, and uh, I said, "Oh, you guys are great." And, uh, I, I didn't see them uh, for a long time, but Mike and I were, were buddying around. He was living with us in Queens, and he, he had gone on tour in Canada before that for, for a month or two uh, with this guy Tony Roman uh, which was a big rock star I was going to ask you about that now he was a French he was a French Canadian or French Frenchman no he was a French Canadian French Canadian of Italian heritage right now he was big in Canada yeah, at that time he, he, his big hit in Canada was Do What Diddy in French right Do What Diddy which, Do which Diddy the French. Captain Beefheart had done that. Remember? Oh, Do yeah, Diddy? yeah, yeah. No, that was Man for Man. Oh, that, oh, that, that not Diddy Wad Diddy, I'm thinking of. Do Wad Diddy was the Man for Man one, Do right? Wad Diddy, yeah. Okay. And uh, he had a Diddy. huge hit with that. He was like the first long-haired guy in Quebec province, and uh, he was a huge star. So he asked Mike, 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 actually, we got some money. Mike, we were sitting in a restaurant called The Click. It was an all-night restaurant. Yeah. Right in the... 40-something uh, street on the east side. And uh, all the celebrity rock stars and actors went to late at night. And uh, I remember one night they wouldn't let Mick Jagger in. What? And I told the guy, it's Mick Jagger. He said, I don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> so me and Mike were sitting at a table, you know, drinking a, a glass of water with a toothpick. And, uh, and Bob Dylan comes in. And, oh. and Bob knew knew Mike and he loved Mike he loved the way he played and uh, he loved the way he looked because Mike had this kind of Bob Dylan haircut but he was good looking yeah you know he wasn't like Bob Dylan he wasn't, didn't look like Bob Bob, right. Bob was scary looking <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah and so Bob comes over he points at, at the table he was totally stoned and drunk and he comes over and sits down with us and I remember yeah I remember Pete and Gordy were at another table I think with the groupies and uh, sitting down, and they were like really jealous because they they saw they saw Dylan come sit down, and Dylan had had, had just had uh, his second hit uh, come crawl out the window. Yes. Oh, and that shit. was like wow. at the top ten at the time. Right. So Dylan was telling Mike, "Listen, you got to play with me. You got to do this. I'm doing a session tomorrow, and you got to come in and, and play." 
and blah 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 and, uh, and, and I said uh, and it happened he was really stoned stoned and so we all left and, and, and I said oh you're gonna Mike said, I don't want to play with that guy. He's crazy. He's too far. He's, totally <laughs> He's too locked up. Crazy. He's too locked up. So the next day, you know, I get, we get a phone. I answer the phone. And he says, can I see, speak to Mike? I said, who's this? He said, can I speak to Mike? I said, who's this? <laughs> can I speak to Mike? I said, who's this? About four or five times. So I said, Mike, I said, Bob, don't. We gave him the number. So, so he, oh, so he called. Mike, talks to Bob Dylan. Hangs over, he said, I'm going to do a session with, with Bob. So, uh, you know, uh, so he, we went into the city. We went into the city. This is a funny story. We went yeah. into the city. It was like uh, the summer of uh, 65 or something, late summer. Right. And uh, we went up to Albert Grossman's office. Well, he went up. I, I was waiting outside for this girl, Nona Egan, that we knew that had a brand new... Uh, Buick Riviera convertible. Beautiful. Wow. Drive us around, 1965. And uh, she was uh, like a wealthy debutante from Jersey, and she always hung out at the, at the, at the clubs and stuff. And she's, we were friends. And uh, so I dropped my, Mike, we were in front of, uh, I told Nora, meet, meet us in front of uh, this place uh, it was on 55th Street. And Mike went upstairs to Albert Grossman's office. So, uh, I, you know, I, I, I see, uh, I, I see, uh, you know, I'm waiting for Nona, and all of a sudden Bob Dylan comes, and he, he's, dress, he's dressed in the same clothes as he was the night before. He looked like he slept in them, and he had snot on his sleeves. <laughs> <laughs> he was really filthy with baggy pants. And, oh, uh, man. And people on the street were, like, screaming and laughing. Yeah. They, they, wouldn't, they weren't screaming, you know, happy screaming. They were laughing Freaking at him. Freaking out. And he was like going crazy, and I, I you know, I, I, that didn't bother me at that point. It was long, yeah. I just shrugged it off. Yeah. And uh, I was actually started to laugh with the people. And Bob sees me, grabs my arm, and says, "Come upstairs with me." I said, "What? Well, I, I got to meet somebody." I said, "Mike is Mike is upstairs." He said, "No, no. He drags me. He drags me in, in the, with my arm. He dragged me into the building, into the elevator where there were two, these two secretaries going up." And they were like, ooh, they were laughing. <laughs> and Bob was getting really, he was fish, I thought he was gonna punch one. Yeah. They get off the elevator, we go upstairs, we get on the elevator, and we go into the office, and, and uh, he says, wait here, in, in kind of a vestibule in the office before you went inside. Right. So I'm waiting there, and uh, Mike comes out, and he says to me, what are you doing here? I said, well, Bob fucking dragged me up here, you know, he grabbed my arm and he wouldn't let me go. <laughs> And he said, well, he told me not to bring my friends around. And I said, what? I said, fuck him. You know, oh. So I went back downstairs, and I was waiting. I, I, I saw Nona, and we went to have lunch. And she, she had money, so she would always pay. And uh, so we were having lunch. And she and there was some you know, people at the, at the next table. It was that She knew the guy. The guy was married to Mary from Peter, Paul, and Mary. Peter, Paul, and Mary. Wow. And so, you know, he... He said, come on up to the office. You know, they were managed by Albert Grossman also. So he said, come on up to the office. And I said to Nona, no, no, I can't go up there. Bob Dylan, he's crazy. And then she said, no. And then the guy said, oh, don't. Nobody pays attention attention to him. He's a fucking moron. He's a fucking moron. And uh, 
So they dragged me up there. So I go into the office and I meet Albert Grossman and there was yeah. Odetta, the singer was there. The beatnik Odetta. Odetta, she was a singer, black singer. Oh, oh, oh right, 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 right. Okay, and then, sorry. then there was uh, Nico. Nico from Velvet Underground. The Velvet Underground yeah. we didn't know about yet. Yeah. She was before the Velvet. She was just she was a she was a model. Yeah. She was trying to find something to get into. And uh, so I was uh, I was standing there, I met Albert Grossman, they they were looking at me and saying, Oh yeah, he was looking at me with the long hair saying, you know, seeing dollar signs. Mm -hmm. And uh, <laughs> sure, sure, sure. and uh, and so uh, we were talking and it was really nice until uh, Bob Dylan comes out and he sees me and he freaks out and he runs back into the other room. <laughs> he was scared of you. <laughs> so then Mike comes out and he says, what are you Dylan. doing? I explained to him what happened. And I said, what are you doing with him? And he says, oh, he's got me reading this big bag of fan mail. He tells me to read and take out the good ones and he wanted to read. I said, oh my God. He said, listen, I, I, we're going to go with it. He said, I got to go. I gotta, I gotta, tomorrow I'm doing a session with him. Wow. So uh, he, we go into the city the next day, I go somewhere, and he goes and he does the session with, with, with Dylan. And, and he said it was total chaos. They didn't know what the fuck they were doing. They started playing one song, and he was breaking into another that's song. Great. And that's the way Dylan was. You don't hear about all that. No. That's, that's, that you think it's all together. It's yeah. Right. yeah. And, uh, you know, this was the new band, the band. The, the band, Robbie Robinson. Robbie Robinson. You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, Al Cooper, Bob and, Dylan at the band, and, and uh, Paul Butterfield. Was this split. this was right around when he was doing like a Rolling Stone? Or no, this was before after, that. He, he, oh, had, after he uh, already done. Uh, yeah, that was with uh, Al Cooper yeah. and, and uh, uh, Paul Butterfield. Right, and, right, uh, right. Al Cooper with on on organ. When I went to the Bob Dylan exhibit that they had, oh, it's most of the songs that this guy wrote. He wrote them all on napkins, like dinner napkins, like yeah, yeah, these I, kinds yeah. of napkins. He would just write. And this is yeah. That, yeah, that's I mean, the way he documented it. That's what he was doing when he was sitting with us at the click, and he was writing lyrics. And, and he, he dropped the pen. He didn't see it, so I picked it up and I said, "Oh, I'm going to keep this pen." I was holding it, and he was like looking for the pen. Where's my pen? Where's my <laughs> pen? You stole Bob Dylan's pen. So I said, "Oh, here it is. I found yeah. it. I know it's yours." And he said, "Oh man, this is my lucky pen. I, I wrote like a, a you know." Dozens of songs with this pen, and it was like, <laughs> but anyway, Mike went did, did a, a session with Don. He said uh, he, he said he would never go back and do work with him again because it was totally chaotic and crazy. Wow! But he wanted to fire Levon Helm and put Mike in the band. Really? Yeah. That would have been and, uh, we, we didn't know who these guys were yet. We found out. And they were starting out. You know, so so anyway, he got $500. He got a check from the union for $500 for that one day's work. In those days, that was yeah. like, you know, $10,000. Sure. And uh, so we went, we got an apartment on 30, 30th Street between Lex and 3rd. It was a basement apartment. Nobody had lived in for uh, for about five or six years. The guy was renting, the landlord was renovating the brownstone upstairs. So we rented it for, for 60 bucks a month. Wow. I gave him uh, the, the money. And the place was a mess. So so we got we met this guy, Artie Schlackman. He was a bass player. He, he was from Queens and he had this Mustang, a new Mustang that was really cool. He used to ride around it. So Mike, Artie, and me, we started, we, we took some speed. 
and we still had to clean it and paint it in place, and we were out for six days. We didn't sleep. For On the third day, I remember. You got I, a lot done, though. I, 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 fainted, I fainted, and Mike put a couple of uh, dexedrines in my mouth. Okay. And oh, my God. Right and then we started working. After six, seven days, we just collapsed. That's insane. The apartment was. Spotless. We, pin, we were doing pinstriping on the wall, and uh, Artie got some furniture from his, his, his parents' house in Queens, and then we got a bunk bed and a couch, and everything was all set up. We got a TV. I remember we painted the kitchen salmon pink. I remember and so we, we were hanging out, we, you know, Mike had a little money, so, you know, we would have a slice of pizza for a point around the corner. That's what we ate for dinner all day. Yeah. We're, we, I got really skinny. I went from uh, 155, muscular, oh, skin, you know, with, with abs to uh, 135. Skin and bones. Yeah, and, uh, but I was still, you know, I was strong and healthy. And uh, even though we were taking our speed and acid and... Uh, Whatever. Whatever. So we were in that apartment and, you know, hanging out at Andine's and, uh, you know, uh, the scene and uh, going down to the village, you know, we used yeah. to stand outside the village at uh, the cafe uh, the night hour and listen to a lovely spoonful. That's another it's, band that was playing around. Wow. Let, let me, let me, uh, let then we me... went to Canada with Mike. Right, right. Let me ask you, now, you got involved with the left bank now for... Everybody who doesn't know the left bank, known for Walk Away Renee, uh, Pretty Ballerina, Desiree, a bunch of other songs. Um, very like 60s. I might play uh, Walk Away Renee for you, uh, yep. the instrumental uh, version. Of that'd be fantastic. Yeah, we, be we fantastic. We've got your guitar. guitar we you got your guitar here. We're going to get some live music here well, soon. Well, let me finish about the left bank. So <laughs> they, they, were, they were considered kind of like like Baroque 60s. And they were Baroque yeah. all the time, but the manager was stealing the money. Bar Baroque. Baroque. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> I love it. That's great. That's great. But you got you got involved with them. So, let, you know, George Cameron, for well, us yeah, international fans, were, you know, international regulars. George was a, a regular for many years. His picture's still up. He passed away. Let me get a TNT. TNT was his regular. Yep, and, and and many times, he, but you know what's funny? For a long time, I I I didn't know, I didn't know who he was. I didn't I didn't, I didn't know that he was. I knew he was a musician. Well, sometimes he didn't know either. Oh, that's true. That's true. <laughs> he get lumped up. He really was. But but you know, he's a very humble guy. Like he didn't say, "Oh yeah, I'm in. I was in the left bank." He never he never said. You know it. how many times? No, he was embarrassed know? because they never. You know, at, at one point it was like a heartbreak story for yeah. both of those yeah. guys. Yeah, and. Uh, I met them when I, I just got off the road. I just came back to New York from Canada after doing four months, a winter tour, in Quebec. Wow. The snow was at 30 feet drifts, and we were playing in hockey stadiums, and the stage was on the ice. It was about 32 degrees, and we were in a shirt and a vest. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And, but, you know, after a while, you know, uh, you know, it would warm up, you know, and the girls were screaming. We were stars. I, I, I'd walk into a bar and Tony, Ro Tony Roman was here. I couldn't pay for the drink. Did, did, did you, not to interrupt you, but did you play? I know that Tony Tony Roman had recorded uh, Smokey Robinson's song, Mickey Monkey. Yeah, Mickey's right. Monkey. Did you play on that record? That uh, version? I think I did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think. Uh, well, I, I'm I, not sure. I, 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 YouTubed, I YouTubed this song yesterday, his version of it. 
and it's it's Mickey's Monkey in French. In French. Oh right? wow! And, and I'm thinking, I was wondering if you were on it. I wasn't that, sure. That didn't hit. It didn't hit. It's a great song. Wow. He, he had this group first. He went up with Mike and did a, a short tour, and then he came back. And then uh, Alan Montoya was the bass player. Yeah. He was uh, Carlos Montoya's son, the famous oh. flamenco guitarist. Right, right, right. And so I took his place. And then uh, there was a piano player named Dennis, who was from the village that played, but he quit. He was really good. Uh, he quit, and this guy, Fred George, came up, who was a real, uh, we didn't even know what to make of him. He had a hairdo like, you know, he used to put his hair up in rollers, but he had long he had hair. He, he was from uh, down south, from uh, Louisville, or Youngstown, Ohio. He was like a, but he was a, uh, his parents were Syrian, Syrian descent. And he played the uh, piano for, he got the gig in the, the Tony Rowan thing, and uh, he played piano, and he had perfect pitch. He used to tune our instruments before wow. we'd go on stage. Wow. And he knew every song that was ever written that he heard, and he was a classical pianist, so people, and he would, used to play piano bars, and people would say, play this song, and he would play Play that song. I never heard him. Wow. He could play it by your tone. And he, yeah. he, 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 was a, he was the guy that told us about yoga, spiritualism. He was about 29 years old at the time. And he told us about his books, the life and teachings of the masters of the Far East, about these enlightened people that were thousands of years old that were still alive. And, uh, he told us about astral projection wow. and UFOs. He knew all about it. He was a <laughs> He told us about the Rosicrucians and the the the, 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 the Knights of Templar. I mean, he knew Knights all about it. Wow. We, we, we just listened to him and, and all these stories and started to, uh, you know. You may need to come on our conspiracy show. Yeah. Well, we have to tell you about <laughs> flying saucers. Yeah, well, well yeah. let's see. Let's see. So, yeah. so you, you connected with... Um, with the left bank after you were done with Tony Rome, yeah, right? Yeah, we came back to, uh, me and Mike came back to New York, and we still had that apartment that we were renting, and, we, you know, we had four months paid the, uh, paid the rent there, and uh, and we were making $250 a week with Tony Roman. Right. Uh, I just turned 18, and we went up. That's fantastic. 12-hour ride from New York to Montreal on the train, and uh, we were making 1250 plus room and board. And we're on the road half wow. of the time, so we could keep most of the money. And, and uh, you know, but anyway, we, you know, Tony started, you know, we started fucking up in these snowstorms and canceling gigs. And Tony got behind our payments and ran. We had to go to the union to get some money. And finally, we left on a bad note yeah. and went back to the city. But we got like $500 each before we left from, from Tony's uncle who uh, mortgaged his house to pay us, because the union said he had to pay us. Sure. And, and, uh, and uh, but Fred George stayed with him for another month or so up there before he came back and started, you know, we, we put a little band together and started playing some more. But while we came back, Mike and I, and uh, Nona Egan, who I mentioned earlier, yeah. at the Riviera, she brought me up to uh, World United Studios. She said, this is Ben looking for a guitar player. Maybe you might be interested. So I went up there, and uh, I recognized George Cameron from hanging out in the Before, street doing yeah. the English wow. accent thing. That wasn't really a musician. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, the English accent. What a Puerto Rican. So you know, I met Mike Brown, uh, uh, Michael Lakowski there before yeah. 
on Mike Brown. His father, Harry Lukowski, owned the studio and was the manager and producer. And uh, there was uh, Steve Martin, we called Martin himself. Carroll. He called himself Steve Martin at the time. His real name was Carmelo Esteban Martin Caro. He was, he was a Spanish. He was a Spaniard. His parents were. His mother was a flamenco guitar player, and his father was a flamenco dancer. And, and, he, had, and he had an incredible voice. Yeah, wow. they used to tour all over the world. Yeah. And she was pregnant in New York, where she dropped him. Yeah. You know, on a tour. Really. And so he was born in New York. On tour. On tour. Yeah. Wow. And. Uh, when I met him, his father had died, had 35 years old, had died in front of the hotel of massive, massive heart attack. Oh. And so they, the mother went back to Spain with the body and uh, Steve left Steve in the hotel. And that's where he was living. And so I, I met these guys and who else was there? Um, it was George, Steve, Mike, and then, Tom. And Tom. Tom, Tom Finn. Right, I forgot. Yeah. And, and Tom, they, they played Walk Away from Renee for me, and the flip side, I haven't got the nerve. I didn't think Walk Away Renee was going to be a, a hit because it, it wasn't really danceable. It didn't have that hard dance beat, but I, uh, the other side did. Yeah. I haven't got the nerve. Got the so nerve. I told them that, and they were like, well, it's already recorded. But we already got a deal on a, wow. a, a label. It was a subsidiary of Mercury. Called Smash. Smash Records. And uh, <clears throat> where could we store that? This was this was in May, 1966. So uh, I like these guys. You know, I started jamming with them, but George couldn't play the drums. <laughs> Tom couldn't play the bass. He knew one or two notes. Tom just passed away this and, week. So Mike could rest play, in peace, Tom. Mike could play a classical guitar. Right. And, the, and, and the songs that he wrote, I mean classical piano, yeah. and, uh, and he had a, a beautiful harpsichord there. And, 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 um, but he couldn't play rock and roll. He could only play with a lead sheet in front of him and read the music. So I started jamming with these guys. I told Mike, hey, well, this is how to play a one, four, five turnaround. You know, so I started playing some songs, some Chuck Berry songs, yeah. and, and you know, G, C, D, back. And, and Mike said, oh, that's all, that's all you got? I said, yeah, this is all you got to do. So he started playing this rock and roll stuff. And uh, I showed Tom to him. I said, here, Tom, here, do this bass progression. Because I was playing bass with Tony Roman. Right. And I showed him some bass progressions. And I showed George, I said, do this with your bass foot. And do this with your right hand and your left hand. And so we started. That's crazy. So I started playing with these guys, the left bank. And... Uh, they didn't even, uh, yeah, they had the name. Somebody came up with, uh, some older guy came up with that name. Yeah. They used to hang out in the Left Bank in Paris. And so, and then they found out I was French and with yeah. the name the Left Bank. And they said, oh, you got to be in the band. you got to be in yeah. the band. I said, listen, wow. I can't play with you guys. You guys don't know how to play. <laughs> because, you know, if we went out into a club, it would be a disaster. <laughs> so that summer, I would go up there and hang out with them. We would take smoke weed, take acid. We would jam till late in the morning. You know, the, the father wasn't there, and bring girls up there. It was, a, you know, I would bring Mike Nelson and, was and, and Fred yeah. George. You know, the guys from the uh, the, the Tony Roman. We'd go up there and we, we, you know, scare ourselves in the dark with the lights on and you know, smoking pot and uh, playing and uh, yeah. 
and uh, Fred would play classical songs with Mike on, uh, on the piano. And there was a big, uh, big piano there, Steinway and harpsichord. Uh, there was amps. Yeah. Uh, there was an Ampeg bass amp there, and there was a guitar amp. I would bring my guitar. And so we had a great summer there, and I, I was playing with those guys. I was playing with my band. We did a couple of gigs around New York. I don't I remember. I remember going to the Bronx in Westchester County one day. And uh, then Fred George said he was leaving. He said like, he was going back down south to be taught to play in the piano bar because he made more money. Yeah. And the piano and bar. He, he yeah. had like a personality, this guy, Fred George. Yeah. When we when we'd go out and play after the show, everybody, instead of going to Tony Roman to start, everybody would go to Fred George. And he <laughs> I know. wanted to meet him. And he was like, slicked out of his hair. Was, uh, he looked yeah. like one of those southern uh, rockabilly guys. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> He would start talking to people. They were talking French to him. It didn't matter. He was he was speaking English, and, and they oh, they loved him. Everybody wow. loved him. He was he was like the, wow. the little dogs and the kids loved him. You know, they, 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 this guy. You know, he, he didn't have a, he wouldn't kill a fly. He, he he was actually really spiritual. We I walked by his room at six in the morning, take a piss, and he was in a full lotus position, meditating, with his eyes rolling <laughs> around in his head, and I said. We look at him. Where are you, man? <laughs> and we were like, we wouldn't touch him. You know, and say, hey, Fred, what's happening? And he's like, he'd come down and he'd start laughing. You know, he was like, oh, he's like, oh, you know, and then he'd sage. Wow. Anyway, wow. he left. He left uh, He left to go down south. I never saw him again. Yeah. Uh, I got a few letters from him and, and then later on uh, in the 60s. Then, then we lost touch. And then uh, I actually tracked him down in the late 90s, I think it was, uh, uh, Nanette Workman. She was a, a she, she came up with us with Tony Rome. She was a gorgeous singer that Tony was going out with, and he made her into a big rock star. She did the, she learned how to sing French and speak French. She wow. did the song, and then to know what now my love. She did it in French. It was, and on Tony's record company, it sold a hundred thousand records. Oh wow. shit! That's, back not, which that's was, huge. Which was the gold record in those days. Yeah. yeah. So, so she would open up to the Tony Roman Five, and uh, we tour around with her. And anyway, so get, getting back to the left bank. For getting a back to the left bank. Yeah. So I, in the, uh, the end of the summer, you know, you know, uh, Mike, Mike, Mike had this girl that he used to go out with up in Beacon and she got, she came down left her husband and started staying with her and I was, I was, and my girlfriend Ann from Brooklyn was staying with me and the two couples in this little apartment and then one day her father shows up with her husband and uh, he, he was a really tough guy, nasty guy uh, and uh, last name was uh, Lyons and uh, he was trying to drag uh, girl Mike's, Mike's uh, girlfriend out in, back into the car. Uh, trying to think of it. And uh, so we were all like trying to fight, and uh, so the cops showed up, and uh, her name was Jackie, Jackie Lyons. She was a really gorgeous girl. And the cops show up, and uh, we told the cops, yeah, he's trying to kidnap his daughter, you know, bring her back and with the husband. But she left, and he, she's living with us now, and that's where she's an adult. She was over yeah. 18. And so the cops said, oh, you can't. You can't, can't do that. You can't do that. Yeah. And so they got, they said, okay. 
you stay with this guy, you, you, we disowned you, but you know, they got in the car and they went home. Oh, like, wow. New York. So that was that, and, and at one point, she found, out, she found out she was pregnant. So they thought it was Mike. But many years later, they found out it was the husband. Yes. Yeah, but Mike raised the kid. It was his. Oh, it was his. wow. And, so it was uh, the guy that tried to kidnap her. The guy that came back to try to get her, the husband. Yeah. Uh, well, it was and the father. father. He was the aggressor. But the husband was The husband there. was just standing. Stand. Yeah, okay. And uh, so they went back upstate to live with Mike's parents because she was pregnant. So there I was by myself in that apartment. And uh, I ran and ran out of money. And it was the end of the summer. I didn't know what to do. And, uh, you know, and all of a sudden, you know, I was hanging out with, with, the, with the left bank, you know, we were jamming. They were getting, they were getting but a you little were, better. You weren't officially a band member. I didn't ever wanted to join yeah, the band. They right. kept asking me. <laughs> you didn't want to. You <laughs> were just hanging out with them, yeah. Well, and they were, th you know, at the, then all of a sudden, the thing, the walk away Renee is like a, a, a hundred and eighty in cash box. Okay. Some guy in the Midwest started playing it, and they got and an order. Got they got an order for ten thousand forty-fives. Yeah. And so they were all. I'm thinking, should I join the band? <laughs> and I'm like, I can't join this. One. They can't play. <laughs> they couldn't even play Walk Away Renee. It was all studio guys, right? Yeah, it was all studio yeah, guys. Yeah. But Mike played the harpsichord. Right. Guy. He played the harpsichord. He wrote it with two other guys. Well, it has that sound. It's all studio guys. Wow. And um, so they were going on the road. And Mike, kept, Mike Brown, kept, he changed his name to Mike Brown. He kept asking me, uh, come on, you got to join the band. you got to join the band. Come on, please, please, please join me. I said, listen, no, get, 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 you can find another guitar player. So they found this guy. And, First, he shows up at uh, Jeff Winfield. He plays a little bit. He, didn't, he wasn't that great. He couldn't tune his guitar either. And, uh, <laughs> but he had one here. And uh, so they went to take pictures. So he wanted me to come with them and take pictures with them just in case I changed my mind. And I said, no, go let this guy. And, and while the tour was climbing up on the charts, I should have went with him, but I didn't. And uh, I kind of regretted it later. And then. Uh, they started rehearsing with Jeff, and uh, you know I, I was helping them out with some songs, and they, they were doing, you know, you know I showed them how to play some Who songs, or Can't Explain, and, yeah. and some uh, things, so a couple of cover songs they did, and so then you know they went out on tour. You know I went up to see them one day, and the father said, "Oh, they just left to, to go on a plane to go to California someplace." And I said, yeah, nice. "Oh, okay." So. Uh, then, then I'll end the story. I was hanging out with the stewardess that would fly to L.A. and New York on the weekends. I got her name. And then we, we went out that night. We had a great time. We went back to my apartment on 30th Street. We were high on speed. And, we were, and she said, oh, I got to go to the airport and check in. And she said, why don't you come to L.A. with me on, on the flight? And I said, okay. So I, I went out to Queens. I bought 300 bucks for my mother. You know, I got some clothes uh, at the apartment, and uh, I got uh, got my 12-string guitar that I bought when I came back from Canada. It wow. was a, it was a Guild 12-string red. I found out later. It was in the Manny's uh, window on 48th Street. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I saw it. I fell in love with it. I bought it. It was 300 bucks, and uh, I found out later they only made three of them: oh, sure. white one, the red one, and the black one. 
Wow. Steve Miller has uh, one of them. Yeah. And the other one that we didn't know. And the one, I had the red one, I used to sell to George when I needed money, and he would sell it back to me. <laughs> yeah, that went back and forth. And then you know, all we would hock it, and George had hocked it at one point, and we lost the lost track. Wow, yeah, man. So, so I went to California. I, got, I went to the airport, uh, and uh, Kennedy Airport, and uh, I got on the plane. I said to, to, to uh, you know, I said to, uh, to uh, the woman who was buying the ticket, I said, oh, can I, can I see what a, a so-and-so store is? And she said, oh, she's paying phone calls. Then she came out, she said, what are you doing here? I said, I'm coming to LA with you. <laughs> she said, oh, okay, because she said, I have an apartment, you can stay there. I said, oh, okay, you know, when she's mentioned, I got yeah. So I got on the plane and, you know, with my guitar and my little bag, and uh, she was there and I was in the back talking. With, with her and the other stewardesses, and you know, I went to sit down. The guy said, Oh man, you, 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 you rock most of it, you know, you're talking with stewardesses, you know, when you're seeing the guitar, and you <laughs> yeah, know, everybody thought I was somebody. I was the, you know, so we got to LA, we take a cab to our house, we go, I walk into the house, and lo and behold, who's there? Pete and Gordy. In the groupies. And this guy flipped from New York and we looked yeah. from the village. And like three other guys I didn't know. So what, this, this chick just like collected musicians in her yeah. yeah. So I, I said, what the fuck are you guys doing here? He said, well, we were staying here, but the land was... He Real shows asset. up and he said to her, he said, you got to go with all these people. You got to get out right away. Uh, so, uh, we, you know, we were just, uh, I, I didn't know, you know, the, I think later, later that night, I ran into my friend Ronnie Singer. Who I, who I met at the El Nido. He, lived, he was from the Bronx. And he was, uh, we were at Cantus. You know Cantus? Yeah. It's a famous deli there. Okay. It's, a, it's, it's like a... In the Bronx? Like a Cats. No, in L.A. It's like oh, in Cats. LA. Oh, it's okay. like Cats. It's like Cats. It's a Jewish, big, but big, big, huge place like Cats. Cats is really So me, me and, uh, I had, I had gotten in touch with this guy, Larry Duncan. He was the guitar player in Tony Roman Five. He was from California. So I, when we got thrown out that day, I called Larry, and Larry said, oh, come stay with me at, at my girlfriend's house, and her parents. So, but it was outside of L.A., so, we, you know, I was out there for a few days, and, uh, and, uh, and there was nothing to do. And, but the mother was growing some pot in the backyard, and, <laughs> and we were smoking pot, and uh, so I said, Larry, we got to go into town and hang out, because, you know, I, I, so we go, we go to Cantor's. I run to Phil Spector. I said, "Hey, Phil." And and so, yeah, and, and, and some some uh, his bodyguard like gets in front of me. Yeah. And I said, "Who the fuck are you?" And, uh, <laughs> I was a tough kid, you know, back in the day. And uh, <laughs> and then Phil said, "Oh, it's uh, Phil said, okay, no, it's Charlie. So come here." So I spoke to Phil. We hung out for a second. He gave me his phone number. I never called him. And uh, and uh, that I heard from Pete Gordy that Phil pulled, pulled the gun on Stephen A. They were trying <laughs> to get in, they, they wanted to come into his mansion. Oh. You know, so he chased them away with that later. But and me, me and uh, Larry and his girlfriend, uh, 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 what was the name? Uh, she had a big hit in the early 80s called I Never Been to Spain. But I Never Been to Spain. And so, so anyway, Charlene Duncan. Charlie Duncan. She was an Italian. She used Larry's name. And Larry 
And me and Larry and Charlene were sitting there, and I, I still had a few bucks. I was buying breakfast. So I see my friend Ronnie over there where the pies were. He was picking up like a bunch of pies. I say, hey, Ronnie. He turns on the scene, he puts the pies down, he pulls off. I tell you, what you, I said, what are you doing, working there? He goes, no, no, I'm just, I'm stealing the pies. I'm just so hungry, I have no money. <laughs> We were just like picking up the pies and walk out. Nobody ever said anything. Oh, shit. So, so I, I told him, I said, yeah, I'm living at Larry's out in the, the boondocks. And he said, well, why don't you stay with me? So, you know, I got my stuff. And Ronnie was staying in, in, her, in this one-bedroom apartment, this little apartment, with a guy named Ralph that we knew from New York. He was a conga player. That also knew the left bank. And uh, Ralph... Ralph Ronnie said, oh, yeah, Charlie, yeah, he goes there. But there was a whole rock band living in the living room with him. Oh, <laughs> from, uh, from Kentucky or somewhere. They were yeah. all like 14, oh, 15. Man. They were all underage. They were back in uh, Ralpha. He, he was a Puerto Rican guy from New York. He had long hair, he could sing and dance. And uh, he looked good. And so I, well, I said, yeah, I'll crash on the floor somewhere. And, uh, you know, we were, we were there for... The, the manager of the building complex didn't mind all these guys, you know, and I was there for like a week or so or two. And then uh, all of a sudden there was a knock on the door and these cops walk in. They, they, they have a list of names, do, 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 do. And they, so all the they, young guys? Yeah, they were all the band. They were all yeah. underage and the parents wanted them back. Yeah. So they took them, they took the whole band and yeah, routes them out of the band. So, so it was... Yeah, uh, me, Ralph, and Ronnie in the apartment. And um, I think I gave Ralph a little bit of money for, for some rent, but he never paid the rent. So one day he disappears and uh, and goes live somewhere else. You know, and the, the manager comes in, where's, where's Ralph? I said, oh, he, he left. So the manager's like grabs my suitcase. He goes, I, I'm keeping this until you guys pay the rent. I said, fuck you, man. I said, you go see Ralph's. He goes, well, I don't know where he is. So I told him where Ralph was. So he gave me back my suitcase. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, you want to do some live music? Yeah, I could do uh, Yeah? Anyway, yeah? Yeah, finish that story. Anyway, Sorry. I was in L.A. Yeah. And I hear that the left bank is uh, staying at this motel down on Sunset. Yeah. So I go down, I go down, and I see, they say, holy shit, Charlie, what are you doing here, man? And Mike kept saying, listen, you got to join the band this guy out. Jeff can't fucking play. Yeah. And, you know, we're playing tonight. And so I found out where we were playing. And then I ran into this, I called this guy, uh, Johnny Post, I, I used to know from Queens, from junior high school. I lived in, I was hanging out in the neighborhood. And he comes down, he had this limousine that he, he had bought, this old limousine. And we go to the show with the limousine. And, uh, you know, we get out, you want long hair, and, and, and girls will love, who the fuck is this guy? I go backstage. So they start playing, and it, it sounded like just a bunch of noise. And, uh, <laughs> and Mike had this this clavinet, which I told him to get Wurlitzer to make you an electric harp support. So, which seemed like a good idea. But, so they made him this clavinet that you had to tune after every every song because it went yeah. out of tune yeah. you know, with a screwdriver or something. And uh, not he good for life. Uh, Jeff Winfield, the guitar player, sounded like to Mike, Mike, uh, uh, Tom Finton, George, George was a disaster on the drums. It took them about a year and a half, a year, 
more before they started sounding okay, yeah. you know, before they started become musicians. And uh, I saw the band, and my friends said, well, they really sounded terrible. But the girls didn't care. They yeah. were screaming and yelling. Well, they love Steve. Yeah. You know, and you couldn't. They love Steve, right? Oh yeah. They yeah. Love Steve yeah. was a really good-looking kid. He was, yeah. He was, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He, had, he was a Spaniard with blue eyes. <laughs> there you go. There you go. His 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 mother was a full-blooded gypsy, and and uh, in the summertime he would go live with his grandmother in a cave, and the kids in town used to make fun of him. Yeah. So Steve was. I don't know if his father was a gypsy, but his mother was a full-blooded gypsy. You can see cave. her on YouTube. Really? She's on a Groucho Marx show of 1960. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Uh, what was her name? Uh, Heralda something. Uh, okay. It wasn't uh, Carol. That, that was her husband's name. Okay. And uh, you see her on Groucho Marx playing, and Groucho was fooling around with her. And it's yeah. really funny. You've got awesome. to find her. A flamenco guitar player. Okay. Flamenco guitar okay. I'll see if I can send you a, the link. I'll, 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 I'll share it on the Facebook. Or I'll send you the link. Okay, so Rob, how are we doing with time? We're, we're, we're good. We're we good. Can do the, so you we want, can do you want the, to do a live thing for us? Yeah, I need to that chair. Yeah, okay. Get yourself set up. We're going to do a little live music here. This is the second show we've done with live yeah, music. Yeah, with live music. The Rocker Mike and Rob present show. Oh. All right. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I'll get you some. We're done. Just use that. Use this? Yeah. All right. You want, you want some of the wine? Um, you want the wine? Yeah. I'm still filming here. There you go, sir. All right. We're still live? Yeah, and still live. It's great. You need another beer? Yeah, I'm going to get myself another beer. Can you grab me that other Diet Coke to get up? Yep, yep, yep. All right, so we got Charlie in a second. Hold on, Charlie, wait till he might come back. Um, live from the bunker. So when I got back from LA, are we on? Yeah, we're still on. When I got from back from LA, the mic was saying, you gotta come back and join the band. So I got back from LA, they had already got another guy yeah, be careful that chair. Grab that one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What are you going to do for us, Charlie? I don't know. Let me see. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, first, I'm going to show you how to tune the guitar. Oh, there we go. Very important. Very important to be in tune. That's okay. Mm -hmm. That's okay. Mm -hmm. You know, you can tune it with your cell phone now, too. They've got apps for that. Well, we used to tune it with the regular phone years ago. Dial tone was A. Really? Yeah, I didn't know that. So you could pick up a dial tone. And...
How long? How long have you had that guitar? Oh, I bought it in 1977 at a, a residential hotel where my mother worked. Some some hippie left it, couldn't pay his bill, so they locked him out. So a few years later, the came was say, hey, I got this uh, guitar. I paid $125 for it. It was from Martin, 1964 Martin. Mm -hmm. Martin's the best. 016 New Yorker. And I've had it since Speed? <laughs> 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 in, the, in those days, we were taking I'll play Walk Away Renee. Walk Away Renee. Maybe I'll do a short version. Okay. I was going to ask you, do you know that? Yeah. yeah. I love that song. Ooh, with, with the mistakes. Out. This is with Pretty Ballerina with the mistakes. With the mistakes. Okay. <laughs>
Fantastic. And also, also, <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, I made I made a demo. Mike asked me to come in and, and help him uh, with a demo, and it was Desiree. He had he had the song, the beginning of the song, and he had the title Desiree. So I helped them finish the song. I wrote, I wrote part of the song with him, but I didn't get my name on it because I was supposed oh. to get my name on it because. Uh, I wrote part of the song. Yeah. I wrote the, uh, you know, the. the was a melody. That was a melody. So I, I was supposed to get my name on it. And Mike Brown's father come, comes up to me one day in the studio. He goes, listen, we, we're not going to put your name on the song because, you know, it's going to take a, a year or two to make a few hundred bucks and blah, blah, blah. And he shoved 25 bucks in my pocket. And I said, so I, after that, I wasn't friends with Mike anymore. Yeah. I was still friends with... Uh, it's kind of low. Tom and George, which stopped hanging out with Mike also at, at one point. And um, after Desiree, that was a minor hit anyway. It went up to like 98 in Cashbox. And uh, what happened? Uh, one day Mike went up to Steve and the rest of the guys and said, Listen, I'm writing all the songs on, on the album, the A-sides and everything. And that's it. So Steve slapped him and threw him on the floor. <laughs> and uh, Steve was a crazy Spaniard, you know, and uh, really hot-blooded. Yeah. Uh, had a lot of soul. And uh, he died in January. My, Steve. I, I, spoke, yeah. I spoke to him a few days before. I hadn't seen Man. him in years. But he, I heard about that. We used to live together. We, we were roommates at one point. Um, anyway, uh, so... Mike fired the band. He said, I'm going to start another left bank with a guy. He started another left bank with a guy named Paul Sum uh, uh, Bert Summers. That went nowhere, right? No. It, it, they did one gig, and the girls were screaming, that's not Steve Martin. That's not Steve that, that's Martin. That's what they wanted, yeah. And, uh, and Bert, Bert actually uh, was a good singer and a songwriter, and he was the only guy that played at Woodstock that didn't make it. He played at Woodstock. Really? So they might have him now with, with, with in the movie. Because he, no, uh, he didn't do... Uh, his managers, the record, didn't want him in, in the movie because they weren't going to make any money. Right. So so Bert, Bert uh, poor Bert, that's another... He didn't, he didn't make it. That's story. a whole other show. Yeah. yeah wow. And, um, wow. All right. 
So, well, uh, listen, Charlie, thank you so much. All right, man. All right. I mean, you were fantastic coming down. And, here then, and, then, and then we did the uh, re reunion uh, from 2010 to 2013. Uh, that the, stuff is on YouTube if everybody wants yeah, to look at it. I've seen for the zombies. That was at, uh, um, that was at the, um, plus, the Highline Ballroom. Plus, I was right? the bass player with the left bank on the, the third album. On the third album. What, uh, what's that album called? Uh, well, there's two titles. There's Strangers on a Train. And it didn't come out for 10 years. Right. It came out in England uh, called uh, Voices Calling. And what year was that? Uh, 10 years after, like, uh, uh, 80s, 87. We did the album in 78. Okay. And it came out wow. 10 years later. Wow. Okay. And uh, then we did, uh, with these guys, uh, George became, you know, kind of disabled. He drank a lot. And, yeah. Uh, Tom, Tom... He was doing, uh, you know, he became a famous DJ. He was making the Palladium. Tom Finn. He used to DJ Tom the Palladium. Finn, oh, yeah? You yeah. know, and uh, Steve, like, me and Steve wrote two songs. Yeah. And recorded two songs at Media Sound that he, that he sang lead on. And it's on an album that I put out in 2005 called uh, Charlie Cazalette, Rough Mix, New York City. Mm -hmm. And we have those two songs with Steve singing on is it. Is that on iTunes? Yeah, it's iTunes. on iTunes yeah. and uh, CD Baby. Okay. And uh, just punch my name Charlie in. Charlie Cazalet. And uh, actually, I have a, I have a, a copy for it in the car. I was going to bring it in. Oh, fantastic! I have a copy for you guys. Thank oh, you. Right. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah. And, um, George plays drums on three of the songs. Oh. Uh, Steve sings two leads with me on harmony, and uh, and uh, one guy from the Silver Bike. Uh, mm -hmm. Which was '67, '68. Right. Uh, sings uh, one song that I wrote, and fantastic. Uh, so it was just all these songs that I, you know, had the tapes too, and some I re-recorded. I wrote and re-recorded fresh on a, a, a digital uh, uh, studio. Okay. And um, you know that's about it in a nutshell. In the mid '80s, I stopped playing in bands and started doing business. You were in the restaurant business for a little while, right? Well, yeah. At first, I had a, a, a boutique on West Broadway in uh, 70 and 1984. And then we opened up an art gallery right next to it on Broadway. And then uh, I opened up, uh, they, they closed down. I still do an art business till today. And uh, they closed down. Uh, then I opened up a, a restaurant called Le Pescadou on 6th Avenue and King Street, which was a French, French restaurant. Yeah. It had two stars in the New York Times, Brian Miller. And Tom Finney used to come down. Oh, cool, like cool. In the, in the early 90s and stuff. Right, right. George, I didn't see George so much anymore. Yeah. And uh, But then we started hanging out again. And he was coming over my house. He had stopped drinking and he was straight. He was Him and Tom were on the, in the AA. You know, so uh, he, he went back to it because I knew him when he was drinking. <laughs> yeah, he went back. He went back. Yeah, good guy. Years. Good guy. Good guy. All right. So thank you, Charlie Caslett. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, yeah, man. Playing and telling your great stories. You know, you're an important person in the whole scheme of things in rock and roll. You know? Yeah, there's so many more stories. I, I started writing my memoirs about the '60s. It's going to be called My First Band, and how I survived the '60s. Wow. Oh well, God. listen, when, when, when that starts to take traction, you get published, let me know. Yeah, we'll, 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 we'll have, have you back on. I'm on the fifth page, and it's going to take me about a year. Right? 
You can come back anytime you want. Long enough, you might see it out there somewhere. Nah, you'll be fine. Yeah. You'll be fine. All right. Thank you All so right, much, people, Charlie. Thank you very much. Right. Have a good day, Charlie. Yeah, thank you for time. everything, thank man. You, sir. Uh, and um, Michael, people from Charlie, from Rocket Mike, and Rob, don't get drunk. Get, get lumped, lumped up. up. See you next time. <laughs>